0: Guys are getting it. You're rolling, rolling into that pretty well. And for those of you who are thinking, "What is wrong with these people?" Uh, We are in a series that is experiencing God through the fruit of the Spirit, and today we're settling in on faithfulness. And and so each week we get to sing that little song, so that by the end of the of the time of this series, it's going to be stuck in your heads, and you're going to be shopping, and you're going to go to pick up a coconut, and you're going to go, "Well, that's not the fruit of the Spirit." But I know what is, and you'll be sharing it with everybody. So that's kind of the subliminal message that's happening here every Sunday, and we make no apologies for it. But today we're going to talk about faithfulness. And there are many things that can be said about the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness. And today I want to look at what it takes for us to produce that, what it takes for us to produce faithfulness in our lives. And as I've looked through Scripture these last few weeks in in preparing for faithfulness, I noticed that it really only takes one thing to produce faithfulness. I saw that in Scripture, those who lived the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, they all had one thing in common. They chose to honor God. No matter what everyone else did around them, people like Daniel, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the prophets of the Old Testament, just pick one. Everybody was was making fun of them or calling them out or doing something, and they they chose to honor God no matter what. Even in the New Testament, uh, the disciples, once they got things figured out, they were only concerned with faithful living for God. And it was amazing. In short, you could say that in all of these instances, living out the spirit of faithfulness only took one good man at a time. Now, I also want to say in scripture, there are many examples of women who produced the spirit, um, the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness for the Lord as well. They also honored God when others didn't. And so I'm not selling women short today, but I'm going to be firing off at the men today. Just so you know, uh, I want to look at what it takes for us to produce, men especially, to produce and live out the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness in our lives. Because after all, men, we should be the spiritual leaders in our homes. We should be the ones setting the example of faithfulness to our Lord in our families, in our churches, in our communities. And and young men who don't have families yet, that's what you should be preparing for because that's what's coming. So I'm right here. You guys, I'm on you today. You're not off the hook just because you're one over. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that, that we can laugh a little bit. I uh, thank you that, that there's so many examples of faithfulness. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you'll, just, you'll be with us right now. Uh, we, as we open up your word, that it won't be something we just glance at today, but it'll be something that, that we take to heart. Something that we, that we take home and look at it again. And then say, how can I apply that in my life? How can I make that happen in my family, in my community, in my job? Oh, uh, Open our hearts, Lord. Change us. Make us different. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. As you're turning there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I want to tell you a story. There was a man named Hugh Latimer, and one day he was preaching in the presence of King Henry VIII. So this was a long time ago. He reports that he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king is here. Be careful what you say. Then he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer. Remember that the king of kings is here. Be careful what you do not say. For such unflinching faithfulness, Latimer was eventually burned at the stake. But he feared failing God more than he feared offending man. And that is the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness right there. The faithful disciple values his soul immeasurably more than he values his body. And he will gladly sacrifice that which is only physical and corruptible for the sake of what is spiritual and incorruptible. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And right there, those three little words, God is faithful. If God is faithful, we have every reason we need to be faithful for him. He provides what we need and that includes an escape plan even when we allow ourselves to stumble into sin. But God is faithful and he allows that. He helps us find those outs. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 just turn back a few chapters because it shows us an example of this when it, when it talks about the ministry of the apostles and how it's explained. 1 uh, Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You see, the apostles were stewards. They were stewards of the mysteries of God. Basically, that was the gospel, Uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, they shared it wherever they went. And at this point, it was not yet written out like we have it today. Do you have your Bible? Even if it's in an iPod form or your phone, hold it up. Hold it up. Let me see it. Hold it up. Hold it up. I see you holding them. Hold them up. Get them up high. There we go. You've got the mystery of God is revealed in your hand right now. You hold that. Think on that as we turn to 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 because the reality is is what you hold in your hand, the answer to all of life's questions is in your Bible. No matter what format you're reading in, it, the answers to all of life's questions are in your Bible. If you're struggling with something, maybe you're struggling with being faithful. To what God's called you to do. You simply have to look at his word. The answers are in there. And, and, and we also, we can't just look at it. If we're going to be stewards, if we're going to be faithful in order to be a good steward, being a good steward means we have to read it. We have to desire to understand it. We have to study it. Being a good steward of some things, I'll give you some things when you're a good steward, it means you're going to protect it. You're going to keep it away. You're going to keep it safe. You know, Maybe you have an heirloom, an old vase at home, something that you don't want to get broke. It's been in the family for generations. And to be a good steward of that means you're going to protect it. You're going to keep it safe. You're going to put it away behind glass. Not so with the gospel. Being a good steward of the gospel means that we are studying it. It means that we are sharing it. And I mean sharing it often. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found Faithful. Brothers and sisters, if we are to experience God through the fruit of the Spirit, we have to learn faithfulness. Once we learn faithfulness, we have to live faithfulness. Understand this. The faithfulness is not perfection first. Okay, the word perfection is not in the definition for faithfulness. And it's not perfection first. It is following Christ through our stumbling with sin. You can still be faithful and make mistakes. Again, when you look at faithful people, David made mistakes. Noah made mistakes. These guys made mistakes, but they were still found faithful. Faithfulness is walking in the light. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9 through 9 with me. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Again, another example of where God is faithful to us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Experiencing God through faithfulness, Christian, begins with confessing your sins the things that separate you from God, get them out there, get them out in the open so you and God can deal with them. Faithfulness is confessing, it's repenting and it's not allowing your sin to define you but it's asking for grace and forgiveness and and for God to restore you when you have sinned. I want to make a sharp transition here and I want to speak to the men in our audience like I said before. Experiencing God through faithfulness, men, is refusing to allow yourself to wallow in your past mistakes because I'm going to be kind of uh, transparent. That's what men do. Ladies, there's the mystery of men. We make a mistake. We try to muscle through it, but it still dances around in our minds and we still let it hang on a little bit. And we we somewhat wallow in it a little. Um, it's just what we do. We, we try to move forward, but then sometimes we, we turn back around and we live life with regret from a mistake or, or, or something that we've done. But the reality is experiencing through God through faithfulness is refusing to allow ourselves to be caught up in that. That's what Satan wants. That's called a win for Satan. When we allow the worry and and, and the the wallow of our past mistakes, our past sins, our past regrets to trump our faithfulness for God, that's a win for Satan. We don't want that to happen. So instead of doing that, wallowing in in the past mistakes and, and living life with regret, faithfulness to God is actually more like wrestling with God and then walking away with a limp. It's true. I'm going to get on that in a second. Trusting him when he says he will make you a father of many nations or trusting him when he says you're going to move from here to here and you're going to take your family and it's going to be okay because I have a plan. Trusting him and honoring him. That's all we have to do when we follow him and develop faithfulness in him. You see, experiencing faithfulness, experiencing God and faithfulness, men, is like being a Marine. Go ahead. Who are I know you're there. There's a couple. Um, the, the slogan for the Marines, a few good men. Huh? I thought it was the Marines that said a few good men. Oh, the few, the proud. I knew it was a few. See, thank you. It was a few. That's what I was hitting on was a few. I'm gonna have you read these next time. <laughs> the few, the proud. That's what it was. They would rather have a few men proud and sold out to what they're called to do than have a whole platoon of half-hearted soldiers. That's the point I was making. Can I get amen on that one? All right. A ah Yeah. <laughs> You've got to respect that. All right? They really, it's true. That's what they want. They don't want everybody. I agree with that. And, and also, men, when we lead our families, when we're leading in God's church, It's no place for half-hearted service. In our community, in your job, it's no place for half-hearted Christian service. It's time that we are all in. That's what it is to produce faithfulness. To experience God through faithfulness, man, we've got to be sold out to him. He's looking for one good man. All through biblical history, he used one good man at a time. I mentioned a few of them earlier, but just... Think about this. Think of, of the people you know that you've read through Scripture. Guys like Noah and Moses and Abraham, Gideon, Elijah. The list just goes on and on. And, and he did amazing works through these men. In 1977, there was a plane crash. And this plane crash killed three members of a somewhat popular band. You may have heard of them. Uh, the band was called Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, all of you nodding, I know what you're listening to on Mondays, see? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the two, two surviving band members from that started a new band a couple years later in 1979. The new band was named Rosington Collins. They gathered up a few other longtime friends of Leonard Skinnerd, and, and they, they came away with a new band and these people to play with them. And they wrote a couple different songs. Some of them actually weren't half bad. One of them was called One Good Man. Now, this song was shared with me, and I was pretty intrigued by it. I was like, man, that's, that's a good song. Uh, their theology is a bit off, I'll tell you that. But the message from this song is spot on. But I'm going to share the lyrics with you in just a second. But I want to share something else with you about one of the members of this band. His name is Barry Lee Harwood. And what you need to know about Barry Lee was that he was a huge part of the Jacksonville music scene in the 70s. He played for everybody. He played guitar. He played steel guitar. He was really talented, and people wanted him. He played on several of Leonard Skinner's recordings. He never really toured with the band at the time, but was really friendly with them. And, and he did a lot of stuff. And it's, it was said after the plane crash that Barry Lee was the only person to fill the void left by the previous members who were no longer from the, with the band. Now, he did an interview, and then there's a point to this. He did an interview where he talks about all through his career as a guitar player. He, he did play with Leonard Skinner for a little bit, as I said, in some recordings and stuff. Uh, he played with Roddington Collins. He played with several big names in the 70s and early 80s. Um, he, he says in this interview, the problem is, I knew that I wasn't being faithful to God. You see, because Barry grew up in the church. He, he grew up. With that gospel message. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. And he says. I knew that I wasn't being faithful to God. He said I was on stage. I was in front of millions of people. And and never once. I had captive audience. of Off to the side of, of one on ones with people. And never once. Did I share or say a word about the gospel of Christ. He says I was not being a good steward. Of the gospel. Now. As things progress and and condensing down like 15 years of his life into this area right now, he was part of the team that wrote this song, One Good Man. The first verse says this. Do you remember the city of Sodom? There was wickedness throughout the land. Well, the Lord said, Lot, brother, we got trouble. Go to your city and find me one good man. Can you find me one good man? All I need is one good man. Well, we know what happened when Lot returned. He said, I'm sorry, Lord, but I could not find one. Well, the Lord said, you ain't worthy of salvation. No. And he raised his mighty hand. He destroyed them all because he could not find one good man. Not in all the land was there one good man. Can you find me one good man? The second verse says, I've seen children go hungry for the lack of their daddy's smile. I've seen those children grow up bitter because they never had the love of one good man. I've seen women lose all their pride trying to please one selfish man. I've seen women lose their very soul searching, searching for one good man. Can you find me one good man? All I need is one good man. All it takes is one good man. I went on a quest after I heard this song cuz I wanted to know why it was written. I was like those are those are kind of powerful lyrics. There's some there's some depth to that, there's some meaning to that. And I started this search and I found out that this band only lasted about 2 years. And when the band dissolved, I found out that Barry actually began to live out what God had called him to do, which was sharing the gospel. This man who went from playing for millions of people, he went to finding and playing for small groups of people just to tell them about Jesus. He was offered a spot in 1987 on the tribute to Leonard Skynyrd concert tour, it was pretty much a big deal, and it was sold out pretty much everywhere, and he turned it down. He said, I knew if I went on that tour that I would not be faithful to what God has called me to do, and I just couldn't do it again, not for anyone, not for any amount of money. He said, people didn't understand. People in the music industry didn't understand. He said, even some of my Christian friends didn't understand you got an opportunity to go tour. But he said, I knew if I did it, I wouldn't be producing faithfulness. I wouldn't be faithful to what God had called me to do. I was reading this article, and it just started to resonate with me. Here's this 70s southern rock band. And this guy, when he's writing this song with his friends, clearly he's wrestling with God. And I thought, you know, if they can grasp the fact That faithfulness can change the world. Why can't we? Because the whole foundation for this song is faithfulness. Abraham was faithful to God. And so Lot and his family were the only ones that were spared the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Except for Lot's wife because she turned back, looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. And that's that's a bad deal for her. Um. (laughs) Who it is? But the second verse of this song really got to me too because of my time in ministry and my time talking with people over the years um, and and the ministries that I had in Florida, I've I've seen children go hungry for the lack of their daddy's smile. I've seen children grow up bitter because they never had the love of one good man in their life. I've seen women lose their pride trying to please one selfish man. I've seen women lose their souls searching for one good man. Guys, I got to tell you, the spiritual health of our families depends on you. The spiritual health of our church depends on you. The spiritual health of our community, say it with me, depends on no, depends on you. No. <laughs> depends on us. We are to be the spiritual leaders in our families. If you want to experience God, it's time to accept the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. Because faithfulness to God, faithful to your faithfulness to your wife. Faithfulness to your kids. Those are the things that we need to be picking up. Sometimes men, I think we're we're faithful, we're more faithful to our favorite sports team than to our own families. We know more stats about our teams, and, and we can't even name ten friends that our kids hang out with during the school year. I gotta tell you, Barry Lee's story, like I said, it, it reminds me a little bit of Jacob from Genesis chapter 32. Don't turn there, but write that down. Genesis thirty-two. Go through and read that this week. And and basically, I'm going to summarize it up for you. To know Jacob's story is to know his life. It it was one of never-ending struggle. And even though God promised Jacob that through him would come not only a great nation, but a whole company of nations, he was a man full of fears and anxieties. And we come to this point in Genesis chapter 32. It's a pivotal point in his life. He's about to meet with his brother Esau. He hasn't seen him in years. And his brother Esau has vowed to kill him. This is not a happy family reunion on the 4th of July. This is bad news, okay? All of Jacob's struggles, all of his fears, they're about to be realized. He is, he's sick. Backstory, he's sick of the way his father-in-law had been treating him. And, and he has fled to Laban only to, to know that the next step in this journey is he's going to come face-to-face with his angry brother Esau. And he's anxious for his life. He comes up with a bribe. He sends a caravan of gifts and and women and children. And and like everything he has, he sends across the river in hopes of pacifying his brother. And and he does all this. And the Bible says he's physically exhausted. He's alone in the desert wilderness. He's facing sure death. Uh, The last thing he knows, his brother's going to kill him. He's empty of all of his worldly possessions. It's just him. And in fact, at this point in his life, he is powerless to take control of his fate. He's got nothing left. And he collapses into a deep sleep on the banks of the Jabbok River. And his father-in-law is behind him, and Esau is before him, and he he was even too spent to struggle any longer, and he just collapses on the bank of the river. But only then did his real struggle begin. You see, fleeing his family history had been bad enough, but then wrestling with God himself was a different matter altogether. That night, the Bible says, an angelic stranger visited Jacob. They wrestled throughout the night, physically wrestled throughout the night until daybreak, at which point the stranger cripples Jacob with a blow to his hip that disabled him with a limp for the rest of his life. And it was by then Jacob knew what had happened. He said in Genesis thirty-two thirty, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. See, in the process, Jacob, the deceiver, received a new name, which was Israel. And that basically means he struggles with God. However, what's the most important thing occurs here at the conclusion. In Genesis 32, 29, the Bible says that God blessed him there. He struggled with God. And when it was all said and done, God blessed him there. Now, maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm too far gone. What could God do with someone like me? I've got so much junk, so much baggage. What can I do? It's going to help you to know, among other things, besides the deep-seated family hostilities in Jacob's life, He was a determined man. Some people would consider him to be ruthless. He was a con man. He was a con artist. He was a liar. And he was a manipulator. In fact, the name Jacob not only means deceiver, but more literally it means grabber. And that's how he lived his life. And here he is on the banks of the Jabbok River. You know, in our culture, even in our churches, we celebrate things like wealth and power and strength and confidence and prestige and victory. And we despise things like fear and weakness and failure and doubt and all the things that Jacob is going through. We know that a measure of vulnerability, a measure of fear, of discouragement and and depression come with normal lives, but we tend to view these as signs of failure. Or worse yet, we view them as lack of faithfulness amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we also know that in real life, the naive optimism and the glowing accolades of glamour and success are just a recipe for despair when it's all said and done. Because sooner or later, the cold, hard realism of life catch up with most of us. The story of Jacob, I think, pulls all of us back to a reality. He wrestled with God and he walked away with a limp. A constant reminder that, yes, God blessed him in many ways that night. The least of them being that he was allowed to live. And from that night on, though, he lived a life of faithfulness. He wrestled with God. He walked away with a limp, but he lived a life of faithfulness. How about you? Do you want to continue to go through life wrestling with God, or do you want to develop the spirit of faithfulness? It starts with one good man. It starts with one good woman. It starts with letting go. See, that's what Jacob had to do. He wrestled with God. He refused to let go. He wrestled all night physically, and then he let go of all the things in his life that were separating him from God. And when he let go, it, it, he realized that moment, and he let God take over. In the end, Jacob does what all of us should do. He confronts his failures. He confronts his weaknesses. He confronts his sin. He confronts all the things that are hurting him. And he faces God. And he wrestles with God all night. And it was an exhausting struggle. It left him crippled. But it was only after he came to grips with God and he stopped struggling, realizing that he couldn't go on without him. And that was when he received God's blessing. That whole little Christian saying we have it's a churchy thing let go and let God that's what that means right there stop biting with God he's got the plan fall in line with it Jacob only after we come to grips he came to grips with God and he walked away and he lived his life in faithfulness are you ready to do that if you're ready to begin a life of faithfulness to God whatever that looks like for you we're ready to help you do that Whether you need a fresh start with baptism or you're in need of repentance and rededication, whatever your response is today, let this Father's Day be the day that you declare faithfulness, your gift, to our Heavenly Father. Will you stand and sing with us and respond to His Word?